Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Let's pray. So Lord, be with us now. Like we ask you each week as we hear your word to open our eyes to see your purposes and your promises as you open our eyes to see all those promises find their yes in Jesus. Lord, come and convict us where we need it, comfort us where we need it, encourage us where we need it. Lord, you know every heart in this room, you know every heart that can hear my voice. Lord, work now through your word and by your spirit to make much of Jesus and to bring rest to our weary souls, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this, this chapter is full of a lot more hope than chapter 34, uh, but there's still these, these threads of darkness throughout it, darkness of disobedience with a son sleeping with his father's concubine, there's darkness of danger with enemies all around, there's darkness of death. That's just throughout this chapter, and we've, we've talked about this a few times, how death has been introduced because of sin. And so in this chapter, Rebecca's nurse dies. Uh, Rachel, the apple of Jacob's eye, dies in labor with their last son. They get back to Isaac just in time for Isaac to die. And this is the shadow that's always over Genesis 3. So even in the midst of a much more hopeful chapter, these things still Exists. This is the unrest of sin and of death. Fellowship with God broken, so disobedience still there. Relationship strained and unsteady, so brokenness and grossness within families. Sin rampant around them and clinging too closely within them. Suffering reminding them that death is around the corner and the last enemy, death still coming too soon, and too often for those they love and we love. And you walked into this room feeling some of that unrest, either in an an intense way today or maybe in kind of a a low-grade way, right? You have concerns about someone in your life that's close to you that you love. You have sin that you want to stop, but you haven't been able to stop yet. You're feeling like the wrong things you've done will always be with you and they bring you distance and you want to hide. You feel like the wrong things that have been done to you cling to you and they'll always cling to you. Maybe you're stressed or worn out from a rough marriage or a rough season of marriage or a rough season of parenting or a sad season of singleness. Maybe you're worried about finances. You feel the, the pinch and it's hard. Maybe you're sad about someone you know that's suffering. Maybe you're weary in a season of your own suffering. Maybe you're lonely after someone you love has died. Maybe you're just struggling with contentment in your work or in your life. Maybe you feel distanced or apathetic towards God. So I'm just going to have you raise your hand if you feel any of those things. Right, so, so, so we live in that shadow. That's just where we live. You walked into this room feeling those things. And what I love about the Bible that we have, that we get to hold in our hands and read every single day, is that it doesn't shy away from any of that. 
The Bible doesn't shy away from any of that. In fact, it lets you watch the life of Abraham and the life of Isaac and the life of Jacob and see the mess they make along the way. See all those things that I just read out loud to you. More importantly, what it lets you do is watch how God is always there. (laughs) And what I want you to get more than anything this morning is the reality that God is always there if you're in Christ. That God is always with you if you're in Christ. Walking with and working for his people through it all to bring them to his place to enjoy his presence. In chapter 34, I don't know if you noticed last week, maybe the darkest chapter in Genesis, the name of God wasn't there. There was no God. He he didn't show up in chapter 34. And I think it's a chapter to show us a world without God's presence. A world distant from God, apathetic towards God. And in chapter 35, between him speaking and places and people named with him in mind, God's name shows up 20 times. What's the point of that contrast? No God here 20 times in this chapter. I think the point of that contrast is that even when God seems out of sight or out of mind for a season, he's not. He's not. He's there and he's ready to work for those who wait for him. So let's dive in to point number one here. God's protected promises for his people. So you remember last week that the only time Jacob spoke up was because he was worried that the other people in the land where they were dwelling would be angry because his sons had taken revenge on Shechem. And he thought, all those angry people will now come and they'll destroy us who are a, a smaller people than all of them. And we talked about how sad and passive a moment that was, but his fear wasn't unfounded. <laughs> his fear was a fear based on reality. Right? It was an obvious fear. The peoples around them would not have liked this new foreign people showing up and making so much trouble, murdering a whole city. So in verse 1, in light of that, God calls Jacob to finish his round trip uh, to Bethel. He says, arise, verse 1, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. In other words, God's saying, I know you're afraid. I know that you think that peoples are coming after you. So this is a good time to now leave. (laughs) It's a good time to finish the journey that you're supposed to finish anyways. Make an altar once you get there and, and worship. Now, a few chapters ago, Jacob finally called Yahweh my God. And Pastor Nick pointed out so helpfully how that marked a change. That was the first time Jacob said he's my God. And yet right after that, we saw him stop short of Bethel, settle into comfort, and not protect his family at all. And this is what we keep saying about Jacob, right? One step forward, seems like a couple steps back. Or maybe two steps forward and then another step back. And what's so helpful about seeing someone like that is that's us. Isn't that how you feel like, man, I took two steps forward. Maybe that'll never be an issue again. And then you're like, I did it again. (laughs) How did I not trust him again? How did I fall into that again? And God wants us to see that. And God shows up here to show that he is still with Jacob. Notice, Jacob doesn't initiate with him. (laughs) 
Right? Jacob doesn't initiate with him after all his passages. God shows up and initiates with Jacob, saying basically to Jacob, hey, I'm still here. <laughs> I haven't left you. I haven't abandoned you despite all your stuff. I'm going to make sure you get all the way home. And if you've trusted in Jesus this morning, the perfect promised offspring of Genesis 3 to save you from your sins and bring you into his family, God won't abandon you. God won't leave you. Divine kindness and power is aimed for your good even now. But sometimes we look out in front of us, we know God's with us, and we go, man, how am I going to make it through all the mess? How am I going to make it through the mess of my my own sin? How am I going to make it through the mess of what feels like enemies surrounding me? How am I going to make it through this broken world? Well, look at verse 5. It says, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Now, we're not exactly sure what the terror is, but we know it was enough to keep God's people safe. The enemies from these cities that were mad about what Jacob's sons had done did not pursue Jacob, instead God was pursuing Jacob and all these people with goodness and mercy all the days of their life. Not because of his works. Right? Watch chapter 34. This cannot be because of the merit of anything that Jacob has done. This, this cannot be because of the, the merit of anyone traveling with Jacob. They've just murdered a whole city. But God is not done because God keeps his gracious promises. Look at verses 6 to 7, and then verses 9 to 10. Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar called, and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. So Jacob makes it to where God has told him to go. He builds an altar at the very place God had first revealed himself to him. So how did he make it there? How has this journey happened all the way? And we saw Jacob until now. You know how long it's been? been about 30 to 33 years that Jacob's been making this journey since we met him just a few chapters ago. And think about what he's gone through in these 30 years. How did he make it back? God's protection, God's power, God's presence, God's protection, power, and presence every day, every trial, all the time. And what happens when he gets there? God appears to him again. Changes his name to Israel. You'll remember when God changes a name, it's significant. We've talked about that in Genesis. It says he's changed various people's names. And here he changes his name to mean he strives with God. He wrestles with God. And this is to remind Jacob that he wrestled with God and he lost. <laughs> and he lost. But in his losing, God won him. 
Isn't that what the gospel does, right? We have to, to give up our lives to, to gain Jesus, right? We have to give up all that we think is important, all that we think is the true us in order to follow Jesus and walk with him. God won Jacob. God won his dependence. God won his trust. God stayed with him after that, even when he made wrong turns, bad decisions, sinful choices, and worked his strength for Jacob. And God appears here to remind him. Isn't this a gracious name? <laughs> Remember, Jacob, we wrestled and I won you. You're mine. You belong to me. And hopefully, the way God appears and makes promises here looks familiar to you. In chapter 17, when God changed Abram to Abraham, he appeared and told Abraham that he was God Almighty. <laughs> and that's what he says here as he changes Jacob's name to Israel. Why that name? God has a lot of names. Why is he using that name twice as he's changing their names? Well, I think he's doing it to tell him that he can keep trusting him because God can keep protecting him and keep keeping his promises to him because no one can stop him. God Almighty means God unrivaled. God Almighty means God all-sufficient. God Almighty means God, none can match him. God Almighty means he can do whatever he promises to do. No one can outwit or outmatch him. When we were on our vacation recently, over and over again in the waves at the ocean, as we were boogie boarding like seven hours a day, <laughs> And I was out there all the time getting really tired as my kids took shifts, right? My kids would constantly look back behind them, right? And they would look for me to make sure that I was close because the, the waves were big and the riptide was strong, which meant it was lots of fun, but it was a little bit dangerous out there. And they would look for me to make sure someone stronger than them was there to keep them safe, right? And that's a wise thing to do. That's a, a good thing to do. That's a natural reaction we have. And kids, I hope... I hope that you can feel that way about your parents. You're glad they're there to protect you and care for you. And if you trust in Jesus to forgive your sins, you have the strongest dad in the universe. You have the kind of dad who's always there and always with you and will always protect you. God will be your father if you'll trust in Jesus. And notice here the promises of people and place and presence again in this chapter. Look at verses 11 to 12. God shows up, and what does he tell Jacob, who is now Israel? God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So notice a people again. Be fruitful, multiply, a nation, many nations shall come from you. In fact, kings will come from you. Notice a place, the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and to your offspring. And in verse 14, notice presence. Jacob names the place, what? Bethel, house of God, which I think Jacob now knows every place is the house of God because he's realized God is always with him. No matter where he is, God has been with him. And eventually, after they get there and they settle for a season, they go to Isaac and he and Esau bury their father. And what a sweet picture that is, right? There's been reconciliation 
between Israel and Esau. And here we see as their father breathes his last that the promise of God has been passed on and we are still marching towards a perfect offspring. The promise hasn't died. The journey had sin and suffering and enemies and death even on this last leg all the way home. But God protects his promises and his people. He doesn't leave. He's forgiven sin. He's turned evil for good. He's sustained in suffering. His promises live on even when mortal men die. When he's distant, it's because we've forgotten him, not the other way around. And over and over again, I just hope you feel the mercy of this. Hope you feel the mercy of it in your own life. Over and over again in Genesis, God shows up, reveals himself, and keeps reminding his people of the promises he's made and inviting them to live in them. That's what he wants to do with you today. Just remind you, like, remember, I've, I've died. I've paid for your sins. I've risen again to give you new life. I've given you my spirit to, to dwell with you and be with you. Walk in my promises. Trust in my promises. Trust me. Walk towards them. And this is why we meet week after week. To remind each other of the good news that Jesus is the perfect Savior promised in Genesis 3. That Jesus made the perfect journey we could never make. Died the death that we deserve to die. Rose again to conquer death. That Jesus sent his spirit to dwell inside of us. To walk in new power and new hope. And that one day we will be with him forever. We keep saying it here to each other and in our small groups and in our Bible studies, right? In everything we do at our meals, we keep saying it to each other because we, like Jacob, need to keep hearing it. We need to keep hearing it. So hear it this morning in as simple terms as possible. If you trust Jesus, God will keep his promises to you. Eternal joy and life now and forever All your sins forgiven and cast as far as the east is from the west. Tears wiped away and he'll get you home to his presence. Point number two. Our purified praise for God. So when God reveals himself to us like this, the God who's with us, the God who protects us, the God who works for us as we wait for him, the God who defeats our enemies, the God who's making it so that we're fighting a battle that he's already won, like we're already saying, What else can we really do but worship him? (laughs) What else can we really do but want to follow him? And that's what Jacob does here. This is one of those two steps forward chapters for Jacob as God graciously shows up again to remind him he's there. So he calls Jacob on this journey onward. And how does Jacob respond? Look at verses two to three. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Let us rise up and go to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Notice what Jacob is realizing now. God has been with him. God has answered him in the day of his trouble. And his heart is taking that in in this moment. He loves him and he wants to follow him. And so he has them purify themselves. He says, get rid of all the other foreign gods. Change your clothes from this previous season of disobedience. And he tells him he's going to do exactly what God said and go and make 
an altar. So this is a moment of radical following of God for Jacob. The new clothes symbolizing a new people, a new identity, walking out of that season, walking into this new season. Some scholars even think that this might be where Paul in Ephesians gets his picture for the church of putting off the old man and putting on the new man with this picture in mind. And notice that this isn't just a duty legalistic kind of driven following, it flows from a heart that recognizes God is good. God is merciful. God has been with me wherever I've been. It flows from a heart that sees all God has done and all God is and wants to worship, wants to praise, wants to overflow, wants to build an altar, right? Wants to sing and wants to shout, Because God is good. So kids, let me say it to you, because I pray this for you. I pray this for my own kids. You're growing up in church. Your parents come to church. That's a good thing. You read your Bible. You pray. That's a good thing. But we don't want you to love Jesus here and follow him because you think you have to. We don't want you to to play that game. We want you to love and follow Jesus, kids, because you want to. Because you love him. Because he's your God. Because you know he's been so good and merciful to you. Because you know Jesus saved you. And so you want to worship him. Maybe adults need to hear that even more. (laughs) That the Christian life is not a life of checking off boxes. Like no one's keeping score. (laughs) There's no Christian points for attendance. There's no Christian points for service, right? There's, There's none of that. It's not about checking boxes. It's a life of worship. Right? It's a life of recognizing over and over and over again God's goodness and mercy in a million different little providences in your life. And most of all, in his promises to you in Jesus. I mean, in Jesus, Paul says, we have every spiritual blessing. Everyone, we, we have it all. Right? We, we're going to own the world. It's going to belong to us. In Jesus, You're forgiven from your sins. Like they're cast as far as the east is from the west. Get those right. You're redeemed. Brought out of the slave camp of sin and brought into the family of God. You're adopted. You're a, a full member of the family. You're justified. In Jesus, God could not love you more than he does right now. He couldn't. Jesus. He couldn't love you more than he does wherever you're at on your long journey home. In Jesus, you have an all-powerful friend who is always with you and will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus is the perfect offspring who died to purchase a people. Jesus is the perfect offspring who purchases a new heavens, a new earth, a perfect place for his people to dwell. Jesus is the perfect offspring who deals with our sin on the cross if we trust him in the sins of the whole world when he returns to guarantee we can live in his perfect presence forever, which is what our hearts are longing for. So let me ask you, do you remember that gospel story today? Do you remember it in a way that it's yours? (laughs) 
<laughs> you wake up and remember you're a child of God. You're adopted, redeemed, bought by his blood. All the promises of God, finding their yes in Jesus and making their way to you because you're in him. Do you remember that gospel story today? Do you remember he saved you? Do you remember that if he saved you, he must be for you and not against you? No matter what you're going through, if you're taking two steps forward or one step backward, no matter what the trouble, no matter what the sin, no matter what the foolishness, can you say this with Jacob today? I want you to be able to say this with Jacob today. He is the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Can you say that? He is the God who answers me day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. That's amazing. Are you in distress right now? God will answer. Do you think you're without God? You're not. He's with you. And when Jacob gets to that place, what does he do? He worships. Right? He consecrates it. What else can he do? He makes a sacrifice symbolizing his joy in God, his glad willingness to go wherever God tells him because he knows God hears him and will be with him. And when you look at Jacob's journey, I hope that you feel this. How could he do anything else in this moment but worship? Like what else could his response be? And as you look at your journey this morning, how could you do anything in this moment but worship? Well, what else could we do? And that doesn't mean it's easy. I'm, I'm not dumbing down or prettying up the, the, the terrors of life, the horrors of life, the ugliness of life, the difficulty of life. I'm just saying God's been there. He's saved you. He's redeemed you. He's adopted you. He hasn't walked away from you and he promises to get you home. So how can we do anything but worship? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if God saved you out of massive sin later in life. Or if God saved you when you were seven and you can barely remember life without him, it doesn't matter. It was his mercy. I hope he saves you when you're seven. If you're in here and you're seven and you're listening, I hope he saves you. Right? It doesn't matter. It's his mercy. He chose you. He called you by name. He gave you a new identity to live in. The Spirit helped you see Jesus and you believed. And since then, he's walked with you. He hasn't left. He'll get you home. So how do we respond? Like, How does the New Testament calls to respond. Well, not surprisingly, it calls us to respond like we see Jacob respond. Listen to Romans 12.1. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Which just means, do you feel his mercy? <laughs> do you feel all that he's done for you in Christ? Do you feel all the promises of God finding their yes in Jesus and your being in him, you receive all of them? Then be all in for Jesus. We've received great mercy, and so we respond with great praise. God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be loved with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. He's worthy to make known as we seek to love our neighbors as ourselves with the mercy and kindness of the gospel, not the anger and fear of the world. He's worthy to be loved and followed and made known again and again and again and again and again until more people love him and follow him and make him known. He's worthy, isn't he? Isn't he worthy of our praise? Isn't he worthy of our worship for all that he is and all that he's done? And that's what we're doing right now as we move into the application. Soon we're going to come to a table here and we're going to Rejoice in the body and blood of Jesus. 
His body broken for us, for us, that our bodies didn't have to be broken. His blood shed for us, that our blood didn't have to be shed and done in such a way that it's once for all. Like we don't have to keep coming and making sacrifices, keep coming and giving our sacrifices in because his sacrifice was once for all. Sam prayed it, it's finished. He's won our eternal life. So we're gonna come, we're gonna fellowship with Jesus and what I want you to remember as we come in light of this worship is to remember that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he lifted up the cup of what? Salvation and the other cup of what else, David? <laughs> thanksgiving, right? The cup of thanksgiving. <laughs> Both are right. When he instituted communion. And so I just want to help you as, you as you approach the table to not be imbalanced. And so here's, here's what I mean. As you come to the table, it's a serious reflection. Right? You examine yourself. Like, is there sin in me? Like Paul says, I shouldn't fellowship with idols and with Jesus. I can't, I can't do that. You can't try to do both at the same time. A serious reflection of our sin. It's a, it's a serious reflection of the body. Like, where's the brokenness in this body? There's supposed to be unity in this body. Am I embittered towards another believer? Am I angry? Am I unforgiving? Or do I need to go and ask for forgiveness towards someone but after that serious reflection where you see sin, you bring it to the foot of the cross, you see what Jesus has done, it should be an eruption of joy. That's what it should be. It should go from serious reflection, my sin paid for on the cross, done with at the cross, it is finished, into an eruption of joy that says, what else can I do but worship? What else can I do but praise him? What else can I do but jump up and down and put my hands in the air and sing with all I got and dance if you want to, whatever you want to do, because he's done it. Like he's done it on this journey. He's never left us. On this journey, he won't leave us. He saved us. He bought us. He purchased us. He's with us. He's going to bring us home. Like, is that worth celebrating? Right? Is that worth worshiping for? Is he worthy of that kind of crazy, kind of out of control once in a while worship of who he is and what he's done? He is. And we see that kind of worship all the time in the Bible. And we see serious reflection in the Bible. So let's be balanced in how we go after God together. He's come. <laughs> he's died for our sin, brought resurrection life. And he's going to come, come back one day and make all things new. Isn't that amazing? All things new. <laughs> all things new. Everything new in his presence. Just try to imagine that for a while this week. He's already come and conquered sin and death so we can have rest in him. Daniel prayed it. Here it is in my manuscript. I want you to take Jesus up on his offer to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and find rest for your souls because you believe these things to be true of you. You can have rest now by his forgiveness or you can remember that you have that rest now if you've already been forgiven. Jacob had a foretaste of the meal we get to have today at that altar. Where our meal is bigger and better because of Jesus. Jacob had a foretaste of some new change of clothes. 
We're covered in Christ's righteousness. Jacob had a foretaste of the worship we now have through the lens of Christ. We get to worship by the Spirit and glory in Christ Jesus. Jacob had a foretaste of the rest we now have through the lens of Christ. We can take Jesus up and his offer to find rest for our souls, not just rest from our journeys. We know so much more. We know so much more. The promises are so big. The offspring has come. We can see so much more clearly. But here's the good news. Even what we're experiencing today is only a foretaste. It's only a foretaste. Our meal with him today is just a foretaste of a final wedding supper that is coming that's never going to end. Our putting off the old man is a foretaste of the final robes we will wear covered in his righteousness, pure forever. Our worship now today is just a foretaste of worship that is coming around the throne that will last forever. And that rest now in his presence is just a foretaste of the rest that is coming forever. It's going to get so much better. He's going to sustain us now, but it's going to get so much better. Like, this is just a little taste of how good it's going to be. And so as we move into communion, here's what I want you to do. If you're here, and and there's sin in your life, and you're not yet willing to lay it at the foot of the cross, I'm going to ask you to let communion go past today. Don't come up today, because we can't fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with idols But we've been praying this week that this would be the moment where you walk out of sin, where you walk out of darkness and lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I want you more than I want that thing. I don't even know what that means yet, but I want you more than I want that thing. If you're here and there's bitterness and unforgiveness within this body that's supposed to be a picture of our unity in this meal, then you can't come because this is a picture of our unity. But we've been praying that this would be the moment where you'd say, I'm going to offer forgiveness or I'm going to receive forgiveness. I'm going to go and try to reconcile because our unity in Christ with all that he's purchased and all that he's done is more important than any, any other thing. That this would be a moment where you'd lay that down and decide in your mind, I'm going to go and make things right. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, especially in this family. If you're here and you're not yet trusting in Jesus as your Savior, I want to have you let this meal go by, but we've been praying that maybe this would be the moment of salvation. Maybe this would be the moment where you say, I can't save myself. I know I'm a sinner. I am weary. I am heavy laden. I want rest and forgiveness and eternal joy and life that comes in Jesus. I want in on this family. I want in on this eternal life. I want in on the the Savior of my soul and the friend that will be with me to the very end. So what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you bow your heads and I'm going to read four verses that talk about a better supper, a better purity, a better worship, a better rest. And as I read them, I want you to remember all that you have now in Christ. And I want you to picture all that's coming as we get ready to come to the table. So first, a permanent supper is coming. Revelation 19.9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat and drink with Jesus forever. There's a permanent purity coming. Revelation 7 13 to 14. Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Permanent purity in the sacrifice of Christ. 
There's going to be permanent worship. Revelation 5.13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Today is just a dress rehearsal for the day when all the nations will gather and sing this song forever. And finally, permanent rest. Revelation 21, verses 22 to 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, and nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You can have rest in Jesus now. Know that rest is coming forever in this new city. So let me read the words of institution, and then you can come when you're ready. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. If you can't get up here to the front, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll bring communion to you.